Welcome to the Florida Teacher Leaders Fellowship podcast number three. I'm Stephen Kaplan, FLTLF alum, and I'm here today with Marty Ladd. One of the requirements of our fellowship process was to create a value creation story about how we were transformed by the experience. As I reflected on my own journey as a fellow, what stood out to me most was the transformation that occurred in my ability to learn by listening, hence the reason for this podcast. As you've heard before, I hope you'll find that you may find some value and inspiration to continue the work of being an educational leader yourself, which naturally all teachers are, by listening to our experiences. The podcast is structured to allow each of my guests to tell their own stories. I'm always amazed what I learn from these incredible people. So let me welcome Marty Ladd. Welcome, Marty. Um, so first, Marty, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you work, and what brought you to the fellowship. All right, Stephen. I am a U.S. history teacher at Lyman High School, which is in Central Florida, just north of Orlando. It's part of the Seminole County Schools District. Um, we're known throughout the state for being a high-performing district, but Lyman is sort of characteristically one of the lower-performing high schools within that district. Um, really what brought me to the fellowship is unfortunately the possibilities for my own growth within that existing environment had been exhausted. Um, a couple of years ago, like at the time, we had really poor administrative leadership and increasing turnover. We were losing a lot of highly experienced teachers and the combination of that factors with the fact that I had been there for 12 years, just created space in which I didn't have avenues for my interests, my skill sets. And so when the Florida Teacher Leader Fellowship Program came along, one of the things that was especially great is that it didn't need administrative approval or consent until after I had already been through the application and review process. So um, that was really rewarding being a part of this group has been a great acknowledgement and a fantastic opportunity for growth. So one of the themes that has come up from a number of the fellows that have participated in the podcast series is this idea of community. And I know even your work, um, which I'm going to ask you to talk about in a little bit, at your school site was kind of even about creating community. Yes? Yes, a lot of the things that I have done outside my research project have been focused on building community at my school site. So one of the common experiences that I know a lot of fellows have shared, um, and it was true for me too, is that there are moments we can point to that radically transform our thinking or give us an aha about a direction to take. Did you have such a moment in your journey? And if so, tell the listeners about it. Sure, um, I did. It's kind of funny, like in reflecting on my experience, I can see that it really was a slow build, but everything kind of hit me in the face recently after I did an exit survey with my own students. And what I found from the results of the survey was that the most meaningful learning experiences for them were the ones where they experienced empathy. And I don't know why I wasn't exactly prepared for that discovery, 
but it has pretty much made me rethink everything about how I teach and how we do things at our school sites um, in a really, really powerful way. So tell first, tell the listeners a little bit about your action research project and and how, because I'm sure they'll be interested to hear of like how this idea of empathy came up. Okay. Well, one of the things with my action research project is that originally I had created a community of practice with teachers from outside my school because I really felt like that was going to be um, the best opportunity for forward movement. And so in that particular environment, we were working to support a district initiative and, you know, rigor and responsiveness. So. We kind of wanted to increase what students were able to produce. We wanted to facilitate their critical thinking skills. And so within this small community of practice, I got together some other US history teachers. All right, we all teach 11th grade. And we came up with a framework for doing a lesson study around structured academic controversies because we figured that structured academic controversies were a type of claim evidence reasoning model, all right, that would give us a framework for looking at the development of critical thinking over the course of the school year. And, you know, I had done a lot of research and we looked at student results and we tweaked different things about the student tools. But the one thing that I didn't really do until the middle of the project was start getting feedback from the kids about their experiences in these structured academic controversies. And that, I, I, I don't know why I could do that. I think I was just so focused on sort of, you know, the system and the, and the science analytical process of it and, and just kind of learning from what they did that, that I didn't really consider what kinds of other things might motivate them to learn more effectively. And so basically I reworked the whole thing and I said, okay, the next time we do a structured academic controversy, which topic do you want? And I gave them a choice of four. And the other things that I did was I asked them, you know, what they liked about the activity and if there was anything they could change, what would it be? And so when we went through that process, I found out that they were totally interested in a topic I never would have thought they were interested in. I gave them a choice between civil rights, Vietnam, the women's movement, and the space race. And over 40% of them picked the space race. So in my mind, that was pretty convincing because everything else was just kind of scattered. The other things that I found from them is that they wanted more time to investigate. Um, and then they also wanted a whole class debate. So our project kind of morphed from looking at this very sort of simple system to going ahead and sort of, you know, um, completely dismantling the system and doing something different. And in that same exit survey where I found out that when they really learned it was when they experienced empathy, that's when I found out that, you know, a lot of them liked the debate. That's interesting. And so I know that that was your aha moment. What changed for you 
um, in that moment that you think you took forward? And I know you said it happened toward the end of your process. So maybe where are you now in thinking about what might come next? Um, I really think that what we have to do in our schools, I mean, I loved how at the beginning you said that you have learned to learn by listening. And I think that that is a really simple way to create space for processes that are very complex, but yet are going to allow us to more successfully navigate the kind of diverse environment that we're in, in the classroom. Um, you know, for me, everything that's happened has also solidified my decision to stay at the school where I teach, because even though we have a new principal, it's not just going to be a new principal that's going to make the difference for our kids learning. Um, you know, I realized as a social studies teacher, you know, I've always been this huge proponent of inductive reasoning. So we use this process to draw conclusions based on the evidence that we actually see. Okay, we look for the patterns and whatnot that are there. And what I really realized through my own personal experience is that I wasn't looking at all the pieces. You know, most of the time, we're so limited in our ability to affect change because we don't understand enough about who we're working with. And so we as teachers and as administrators, I mean, you know, we do approach things from this systematic, deductive area. And, you know, that comes apart when any flaw is exposed. So I think that really what we need to focus on doing is formulating and pursuing ongoing opportunities. So it has to become a part of the culture of what you do but to deepen understanding and appreciation of who you're actually working with every day. So it sounds like you almost took this experience that you had with your students and applied it to the people that you were working with. Absolutely. Wow, I think that's really powerful. Um, so as you started to have this realization, tell, can you tell the listeners a little bit about how you maybe started that transition to rethink from your classroom experience, what you were doing with your cohort of faculty at the school, or, or I don't, because I, I honestly don't know where you are maybe in that process yet. Well, I think what is clear to me is that even though, you know, some of our experiences over the last 18 months through the fellowship program, some of those took a lot of time, and some of those didn't necessarily make sense in the immediate moment. Um, but the long-term impact has been really interesting to be a part of and the evaluation of that long-term impact. And so I'm curious to see what kind, what the potential benefits are of having a more sustained experience and introducing more of that soft time. Because I really always thought that that stuff was kind of, um, a frivolous indulgent, an indulgence that kind of distracted us from like the business and the tasks at hand. And so in some ways, I'm just 
serious as I've always been, but I've learned to be serious about different things. Wow, that's that sounds very incredible to me as a way to rethink how we as adults interact in our work environment. Um, so it sounds like you've had a really transformational experience by having gone through this project. Um, so I guess my next follow-up would be, did it impact you as an individual outside of the school too, so outside of your work life? I don't really know if that's or not. I think what's interesting about my own just personal experience is that my work environment was so um, toxic, for lack of a better description, and, and I really haven't experienced those things in my home, in my family. I mean, I'm, you know, what's kind of exciting about where I'm at right now is that my kids are older and they're doing great. <laughs> you know, we're doing college stuff and this, and you know, they're, they're not on drugs and they're not, um, they, they don't hang out with, um, kids who are going to influence them in really negative ways. And so for me, just the prospect of building a more supportive environment at school and recognizing that for some kids, school may be the most supportive environment that they're ever in. And, you know, that that's kind of a scary thing for us to consider other times. But I just, I know that there are things that we can do better. And for a long time, I wasn't really sure how we could do them better. And now I think it's more of that listening and giving people a voice. So what I hear is that you found a direction that reinvigorated your excitement about being an educator again. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's incredible. And, and I think that is really powerful for other people to hear. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the fellowship are values. And, and in the current political climate, um, as much as some would like to try to make it so nothing that we do in schools is value neutral. Um, and it sounds like there is a very core message here uh, about what we should be valuing um, of what matters for your students and for you as an educator and for you as a person. So why don't you re um, reiterate for our listeners what you think that is? Well, I mean, realistically, remember that democracy is an experiment and it's something that we want to make sure that we are tweaking um, on an ongoing basis in order to support that. I mean, I think part of the prevalent disillusionment that Americans have with authority and with systems is because we haven't created enough avenues for voices to be heard. I mean, the, the schools are really the first place where we build community outside the immediate environment. And that's a really important responsibility, all right, and, and not something that a lot of us were called to be a part of. And we need to invent 
better ways to make it work. But we need to do that um, by sort of making sure that we have all of these additional pieces and that we have as many minds kind of thinking about what we might be able to do, but even insofar as how we might be able to make something better for somebody else in a very, very small way so that when, you know, somebody doesn't get what they want or what have you, there's a perceptible reason for that. I think, you know, I, I, my experience, both as when thinking back to when I was a child as a student, um, even, you know, in elementary school and middle school, and even as you talk in high school about this idea of that, I agree with you that the one place that we have as a community outside of our immediate family, where we spend so much time is the school. And, and um, to think of it as our first experience in um, being in a, a democracy where we have to take other people's ideas, feelings, and, and notions into account, um, both as adults and as young people. Um, so if you were to leave our listeners with a call to action, so from your experience, what would you tell our listeners to remember or to think about um, taking steps on? What would that be? I think it's always that you need to think about who you haven't heard from. And think about whether that is because you haven't asked that person or whether it's because that person doesn't think that what they have to say is important. But taking those steps to at least know and try to figure out all the time what you don't know. So that's become very clear to me sort of through your process, how that worked with your students. Um, has it changed? Because I know you talked about a little bit about how you were feeling and, and where you were at the start of your fellowship process with the faculty at the school. Um, have you taken some of that and how has it played out with you and the adults that you work with? Okay. <laughs> I have been working on that throughout the fellowship in little tiny ways. Um, I am in the fortunate position to have an assistant principal, a direct supervising administrator, who is extraordinarily supportive. And even before my previous principal was released from his responsibilities, I had come back from a fellowship thing and I had gone to my assistant principal and I said, oh my gosh, this is what we need to do and let's use the data from, you know, our accreditation and we can structure everything this way and so-and-so can help me and so-and-so can help me. And she gave me the outlet not only to do that, but she also trotted me down to the principal's office and had me sit in the chair and had me explain everything to him that I had envisioned. And this was right, this was literally 20 minutes before he announced to the faculty that he was going to be removed. And I keep going back to her and now I have a new principal that I go back to. And what I try to do is kind of feel out how can we build on the things that are kind of there 
and the things that are bubbling up and how can we attach um, who we are as a group to those things. Because right now, I mean, it's still, everything is very, um, it's still very broken where I work because there, there hasn't been a system where it's been safe to share what you think or to share honestly what you know. And so it's really suppressed that sense of where the middle is. And I think that that's, that's kind of what we have to be chasing. And so it, part of what I've tried to do is bring other people to the forefront, try to create more meaningful experiences. I mean, the most recent manifestation is going to be like, they're letting me consult a little bit on how we're going to structure department care meetings for the curriculum leaders. And so we started imposing some of the things that we practice through the fellowship that are more, that are a little bit softer. We're going to have that kind of, educational component where maybe you read something or you watch a TED talk and then you utilize a protocol to go through it. And it might not actually link directly to the business at hand for the day, but it creates that space for people to get to know one another in a deeper and more meaningful way. So it sounds like the themes that I'm picking up from you are about voice, relationships, connection that make a difference both for the students in our schools and for the adults too. Absolutely, because the adults have to be doing things well for the kids to be in a place where they can figure it out too. And I think that's an important thought to leave on. So thank you, Marty, for participating with me in our third podcast episode. Um, and I look forward to continuing to listen to you and, and learn from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So much.